Hey, I'm Asher. And I'm Jackson. And what you're about to listen to is Strictly Confidential. So there's something we need to talk about. Uh Uh-oh. And it's not something you or I did. I'm not even entirely sure who did this terrible, terrible crime. But the Sonic the Hedgehog teaser trailer came out December 14th, 2018. And the Sonic the Hedgehog movie doesn't come out until November 8th, 2019. (laughs) That's what you're upset about? That's what I'm upset about. That length of time is buck wild. You are going to make me watch this trailer and make me think for 11 full months about these hairy blue legs. This movie has roles like Jim Carrey, James Marsden. It's huge. Ben Schwartz, Adam Pally. Like, so you don't think that this is just going to fall between the cracks? I mean, what, for you, this is going to be an event. What video game movies have Jim Carrey in them? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this th- is a first. This movie hasn't had a full trailer yet. I mean, Detective Pikachu had a trailer, but this one just has uh, just has posters, teaser trailers, and that's it. I wasn't aware that there was footage at all because I just saw the poster of those freakish legs and that was enough to deter me entirely. The teaser trailer is basically just an animated version of the poster. The people who made Deadpool and Fast and the Furious are making this movie. It's coming. That is strange to hear. It's coming from Paramount Pictures. Like everything about this movie, other than the subject of this movie, makes you think, oh, this isn't a joke. They showed us the trailer or the teaser and poster for this movie. And then 11 months later, I get to see it. That means that no matter whether or not this movie is garbage or whether or not this movie is amazing or whether or not this movie is anywhere in between. I have to think about this for 11 months. (laughs) It's like Sonic's cat. Until November 8th, this movie is both incredible and terrible. There's no way that it's ever incredible. I don't know what you're talking about. That was my fear with Detective Pikachu, because I saw I saw that the trailer had come out and I thought, okay, Pikachu has hair. There's no way I'm going to like this. And then saw the trailer and thought, yeah, it's going to be good. At some point, remember Monsters, Inc. came out a long time ago. At some point, everyone forgot how to animate hair. Yeah, because it's it's it looks so uncanny in both of these films. There is a particular type of phobia, actually, that I don't know the name of, where people have a adverse response to overly rendered hair. It's like some kind of like follicle phobia thing. And I imagine for them, the cinema has become a waking nightmare because every CG fest film has these bristly, greasy, unnatural, furry creatures Speaking of that, and I know this topic has been talked about so much on the internet because I could see it appear on Facebook even, but uh, the new Lion King movie that's supposed to be live action, (laughs) very much not live action. (laughs) (laughs) And what's wrong with, okay, now you got me mad. Remember Looney Tunes back in action? No one remembers that movie, but do you remember it? Or no, I don't know, Space Jam, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Whatever happened to... And here's me showing my age. What's so what like having live action characters blended with traditionally drawn 2D characters? 
totally works. They, there's people don't have any issue suspending their disbelief that Brendan Fraser is talking to Bugs Bunny. They really seem like they're interacting. And especially since the animators can compensate for any discrepancies in the way the actor is posed. Like if the if the if they have their eyeline incorrect, you can just move the animated character to where their eyelines meet. I don't know why you need to have sponge out of water make SpongeBob into a realistic 3D model. Just have him be an animated character juxtaposed against real life. It totally works. Can I and ro- I love it. Can I role play the pitch situation for this movie for you? Sure. So it's a, basically a guy walking into a room at Paramount Pictures um, and say, OK, here's what we're doing. You know, the yellow rat from the Pokemon series. We're going to make him gross. We're going to make him <laughs> absolutely disgusting. Pikachu has been animated like Pikachu so many times before. Look, we can make him look like a real animal. You may not want us to, but we can. It may be disgusting, but it's impressive. All of these kids are learning about evolution from this little picante. We will ruin him in the eyes of children. The funniest thing to me about that, I don't know if I've told you that, but the reason, like when I was five for Christmas, I got a Game Boy Color, the beautiful clear purple ones. Oh my God. My aunt and uncle knew I was getting a Game Boy Color and my parents told them I wanted Pokemon, but they got me um, Arthur's Great Day or something. (laughs) Instead, because they didn't want to give me a game that had to do with evolution. <laughs> oh, no. But yeah, that's my struggle right now. I have no idea what to do with myself until the Sonic movie finally rears its ugly head. Well, speaking of Hollywood films, upcoming movie that I might see one of the two. There's a chance I'll see Detective Pikachu. But uh, you and I have become quite Hollywood ourselves. Now that our podcast has been downloaded by millions, we're kind of celebrities And we have to disguise ourselves when we go out in public just so we can go buy milk and eggs like regular people and not be swarmed by paparazzi. That's why I know all the ways that our listeners can go incognito when they need to. Being inconspicuous. A how-to guide. And I've got my yellow pad out to take notes because I hate being approached while I'm buying my milk and eggs. Well, for all the clandestine Clydes and Claudias out there, you may want to learn these techniques. Even if you're not famous, there's lots of reasons that you would want to be inconspicuous in public. Some examples are if you're traveling and you don't want to be seen as a tourist. Maybe just because you don't want to seem like a nerd, but also being a tourist makes you a target for panhandlers. I've read also people using these techniques to avoid pickpocketers and muggings. I don't know about that. That seems a little dramatic, but definitely panhandlers can spot a tourist and you are a target. Or if you're going out in public and you just don't want human interaction, you don't have to be an extreme introvert to have a day where you just don't want to talk to anybody and running into someone that you know is a miniature nightmare. Also, I'm not going to tell you that you can't use this information to infiltrate a secret society headquarters. All right. So from those two scenarios, there's two very distinct approaches. One being the incognito, second being the long con. In the incognito, you're going somewhere where no one knows you and you want to keep it that way. This is good for traveling. This is good for being in unfamiliar territory where you just want to be left alone. The long con is if you're staying in your hometown and you really can't predict or avoid a situation where you run into someone who knows you. Which would you like to get into first? Uh... The hometown one. Okay, the long con. And this is something that is more likely to come up, but is actually a little bit more difficult to do between these two techniques. 
This is going to work best when you're dealing with acquaintances. If you run into your best friend, they're always going to recognize you. There's very little that you can do that won't give you away to someone who is intimately familiar with who you are. Even if we're in Groucho Marx glasses, if you laugh or you, or even if you just you speak, your best friend's going to know that. This is if you want to lose the tale of acquaintances. And typically, those are the kind of people you want to avoid in public if you don't want to talk to anyone. These are the interactions that will lead to awkward conversations. To just avoid them entirely, you actually need to perform a bait and switch. And it's not as complicated as it sounds. It just requires a little bit of forethought. Now, our acquaintances, we meet so many people at work, at school, just in the day to day, like your barista, that we don't really have the time to fully catalog all the distinguishing features they have that our brains use later to recall their face. So you have to disguise the memorable features you have? Sort of. Typically, when we meet someone brand new and we're not sure if we're going to meet them again, our brain will latch on to the most distinguishable characteristic, whether that be their nose, their blue eyes, their hairstyle. And importantly, if their clothing is distinct from everyone else, our brain will take the easy way out and be like, "Okay, well, this guy just met Dan. He always wears red. And your brain will use that as the distinguishing feature to separate him from other people. Wait, explain that in simpler terms. When you don't know someone intimately well, I got to stop saying the word intimately over and over again. You are going to make me uncomfortable. (laughs) You're going to recognize them by the features that make them different from everyone else that you know. Which right. means that if you are a person who has a crazy hairstyle, if I'm a, if I have dreads and you don't know anyone else with dreads, you're naturally just going to think of me as the dreads guy. If I walked up to you and I was wearing a completely see-through jumpsuit and that was all I was wearing, you would always recognize me as the, oh, that's the guy who was wearing the completely see-through jumpsuit. Exactly. And we are going to take advantage of the fact that our brains We'll jump towards the most distinguishing feature and pretty much catalog nothing else. Okay. And these three steps come from Simone Smith. This is actually from the a blog called Bellatory. It's like a fashion blog, Pinterest kind of thing. It's about how to how to become invisible hiding in plain sight. Very good SEO on this blog because it came up over and over again. But she makes three clear steps that I wanted to credit her for. Number one. Establish a distinct visual feature that sets you aside from other people. Okay. Okay. We already got that. Step two, display that distinct feature with extreme consistency. I'm a barista. I don't want people who are my customers talking to me outside of work. I put on a wig every day that is bright blue. All of the customers now think of me as the bright blue haired guy. Step three is then the most important. Remove that feature when you don't want to be recognized. And that's pretty much all there is to it. But again, it's the actual forethought that makes this a little bit challenging, because if your most distinguishing feature is a part of your body, it can't be easily removed. If you have bright blue eyes or a unique nose, you need to make sure that you have another thing on your person that is even more memorable. I have a real world example of how effective this type of disguise can be. And I don't think it was intentional, but one of my coworkers pulled this and I was completely embarrassed. So I hope that he doesn't listen to the show. We had a freelancer come into the office frequently 
who had a very distinct hairstyle. No one else in the office had this hair. I thought that I knew who he was pretty well because I saw him almost every day for a few months. However, I ran into him again at a coffee shop and he was wearing a hat and I had no clue who he was. The embarrassing thing being that he came up and said hi to me, knowing full well who I was. And I had that panic moment where I knew that I knew him, but I could not figure out from where. All he was doing was wearing a hat. There was nothing obscuring his face. But because I had cataloged him by the hairstyle, he was effectively wearing a disguise. You throw on some glasses, maybe grow a soul patch, and I have no idea who that guy is. I'm excited to use this information. That takes advantage of people who have already met you and have already categorized you a certain way. But if you're going into a situation where no one knows you and you want to fly under the radar, this is more infiltration. This is more foreign country, covert affairs, sneaking in. Mission Impossible, Fallout, Rogue Nation, Die Hard. Not really as much. I want to credit Guy Browning from The Guardian. Is The Guardian a real newspaper? I think so, sort of. It's definitely not a farce. They are trying to present facts and news. They're good. Yeah, I think they uh, I think they're I mean, I think they even print newspapers still. There is an article on The Guardian. It was the inspiration for this episode as it was titled quite simply how to be inconspicuous. And I think actually he is using this article to as a list of things not to do so that you can be more noticeable. But you don't always want to be more noticeable. So we're actually going to take this as advice. Okay. In conversation, it's easy to become virtually invisible. You can't just stay silent, though. Otherwise, people will notice how rude or shy you are. Instead, a mixture of fair enough, I can't argue with that, and well, this is it, will keep you immune from attention. Being a bad conversationalist. Right, but still participating. And this not, is something not that Not really, though. <laughs> not really. <laughs> be present, be a part of the group but also add absolutely nothing. Because ironically, I mean, you would think that just if you don't want anyone to talk to you, say nothing. But if that goes on long enough, people will notice how quiet you are. And inevitably, some jerk is going to say like, man, you don't talk very much. And now all of a sudden, all of the attention is on you. You want to fly under the radar by just barely participating enough to be counted as part of the group. So there's a very specific balance there that I very much could not achieve. Because when I meet a person, my first thing that I say is, or my, like, I don't contribute to conversation by saying, oh, yeah, or that's cool, or anything like that. I contribute by saying, yeah, I've got a back fungus. That's, see, now you're back fungus guy. You're going to be remembered for that. Forever. And I, how, do I, how do I keep that from happening? Do I stop talking about the fungus? Well, you, yeah, I would say yes, but for different reasons. But the truly inconspicuous aren't just low impact in conversation when they're present. They also play virtually no part in conversation when they're absent. You do a great job sort of participating in a conversation. You leave. Everyone goes, man, that guy was creepy. They wouldn't say that to your face. But now you're the subject of everyone's attention. But if you really don't want to be talked about, all you have to do, and this is his term, and I like it a lot, be unswervingly nice. <laughs> and not necessarily kind don't do anything for anyone don't oh, god, actually god forbid don't, don't actually improve any situation or better someone's life just be nice pretend that you are always in customer relations this leaves everyone else absolutely nothing to talk about whatsoever about you 
it's true. I've never called customer support and then had something interesting to say about the person I talked to. Nice is not memorable. And you can use that to your advantage. I feel like it would be very, very, very hard for me to actually put stuff, some of this into action because my favorite thing to talk to people about is the most personal thing I can figure out to talk to them about. Like if I'm walking out of a grocery store and the person at the counter is like helping me, I like to ask them about their most intimate details. Everybody's going to remember me. You're a, you're a nightmare for a lot of introverts, I imagine. <laughs> That's probably a very good title for me. <laughs> I don't like that I'm a nightmare for anybody, but for introverts, yeah, that's a problem. Well, even if you have a hard time with what you're talking about, that's obviously not everything. Actually, when we think about going incognito, we immediately think about masks and disguises, James Bond stuff, definitely Mission Impossible stuff with those very goofy mask reveals. Mm -hmm. So let's finally get into what we've all been waiting for, disguises. This is the part I was excited about because I've got a whole bucket of masks that I'm waiting to use. Now, the ironic part about disguises is, of course, that you want to draw attention away from yourself, but it's also got to be unique enough to hide your features. You know, like going back to Hollywood, you see on the front cover of National Enquirer, the photos of the the paparazzi photos that are zoomed in and a little bit grainy of you have Thomas Cruise and he's wearing like a trench coat and huge glasses. He clearly doesn't want to be bothered and he's just trying to like go to his mailbox without being swarmed. Clearly he didn't do a good job because he's on the front cover of National Enquirer. They still knew who he was. And that's because people who in Hollywood have seen too many movies and they dress up like people who are wearing costumes. Trench coats and and comedically large glasses aren't going to hide you because no one wears that. You need to blend in with the group that you are a part of. Like in last week's episode about D.B. Cooper. Exactly. About how he... Apparently, historically, he disguised himself to make him look like the most normal, stereotypical man you could ever see boarding a plane. And it's not just about not being flashy, not wearing neon colors. Sometimes what you're wearing can be so ill-fitting that it's notable. It can be so out of fashion that it's notable. I think it could also be too in fashion that it's noticeable. There is a sweet spot you want to aim for because fashion goes through five phases, according to Guy Browning. Catwalk, boutique, high street, discount warehouse, and then jumble sale. I think jumble (laughs) sale being goodwill. And the inconspicuous, they make their fashion move just as it arrives at the discount warehouse. Because if you wait for it to reach goodwill, you run the risk of being accidentally trendy. You have to be really smart about this element of it, because I think it's very hard to be... I mean, fashion, it's wild for somebody like me to talk about fashion at length, but fashion is tricky to be on the right side of. Yes. It's very tricky to be not noticed for being too, like too fancy and not noticed for being too trashy. You have to be wearing like a very, very specific kind of outfit. Yes, there is a correct answer to this. So Target, Tri-Blinge t-shirt. Oh Uh, yeah, absolutely. um, Slim. Dark blue jeans, not skinny, not wide, slim, and then indistinguishable Nike sneakers. Basically anything that you can buy at Ross Dress for Less. Never trust anyone who shops at Ross. They, <laughs> in 2011, remember in 2011 when Ross changed their slogan from Dress to Less to Ross, you will become like the shadows. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think I needed this episode to tell me that I shouldn't trust anyone who shops at Ross. Every single person you see at Ross is... 
either a cop or someone the cop is searching for. You never want to wear a color that isn't also used in camouflage. There's a little fortune cookie rule for you. Stick that in your back pocket. We're talking beiges. We're talking forest greens. We're talking monochrome. Hairstyles are important for the inconspicuous, or rather, it's important not to have a recognizable style. Again, I've experienced firsthand that people's hair is something that we pick up on very quickly. I think a lot of the reason we talk so much about hair is because we're trained and conditioned to be polite and look directly at eye contact, but it's not, for the most part, it's hard for an eye to be separately distinguishable, whereas hairstyles are easy for different people. Like I work with 10 people at my office and pro and there's probably 10 different hairstyles there, at least like different color, different way they wear it every day. And so that's so much easier for you to distinguish with the person. Like I think appearance wise, the first thing people think about Shannon, my wife, is that she's blonde. That's true. Because it's distinguishable and easy to recognize. I'm going to extrapolate on one of Guy Browning's rules here and create what is known as the rule of schlub. If you want to be unnoticeable, aim for schlub. He says that when you're a man, having a hairy neck is good. And if you're a woman, you want to be kind of halfway between styles or colors. In both cases, he says, the look needs to say, I'm not worth it. (laughs) Basically, don't talk to me. I'm not going to have anything interesting to say. Finally, the two thirds rule. Have you ever been to a church, Jackson? I have been to a church, Asher. Have you noticed that the only people who sit on the very front pew or the very back pew of the church are crazy? Yeah, they're sociopaths. Don't be like them. Follow the two-thirds rule. Any, and you can apply this to almost anything. That's why I love this. The inconspicuous are neither at the back nor the front of anything. And they're also not in the middle because sometimes the middle is the central place to be. Instead, they are safely nested in front of the back or in the back of the front. If you're at Applebee's with your friends, you want to be the person who gets this second largest meal. If you're if you're at Chili's to go, you want to be the one ordering the honey chicken crispers. <laughs> Not the buffalo blue burger. In the Chili's to go alignment chart, the crispers are chaotic neutral. We'll definitely be putting a Chili's to go alignment chart up on our Instagram, <laughs> which we'll tell you about at the end of the episode. So stick around. All this disguising is making me want to dive into the snow. And uh, why, why, why would that be, Jackson? Uh, because I am personally right now looking for a way to transition into our segment. Okay. <laughs> and I figured if I said a thing confidently enough, nobody would question me about it. But I think it's time we hit the snopes. <laughs> Insert theme music. So yeah, today's Snopes has to do with history, because I love me some history. In Spain, in the Spanish city of Salamanca, there is a cathedral that was built in 1102. On that cathedral is a carving of an astronaut. Whoa. How could that possibly have been there? And there there are photos covering the cathedral, or photos of so many different angles to where... And these look like photos that are old-fashioned, like not possibly photoshopped, not possibly put there in post. And so the mystery here is how is it possible that the Spaniards predicted this almost a full millennium in advance of what happened? 
And the Snopes of this is that it's actually completely wrong. We don't do okay. Well, these aren't going to be. I mean, that we hear about this with hieroglyphics, and turns out the space aliens that are appearing in hieroglyphics are actually just chimeras or a weird drawing of one of their deities. In this case, though, I'm looking at this photo. This is definitely an astronaut. See, this right here is... So we've done a lot of Hit the Snopes now, and we haven't done very many where it's just, like, blatantly fake. We've We've done rumors of stuff that are blatantly fake, like we did the... If you cut your hair, it'll grow back faster and stuff like that. But historical stuff like this, we haven't done as many that are blatantly fake. It turns out people thought that the cathedral was restored in uh, was restored in the between 1513 and 1733, which would still be pretty remarkable because that was still well before astronauts and well before space technology. But really, the the astronaut figure dates from 1992. Because the cathedral was doing restoration work during that period, and one of the artisans engaged in the project chose to engage in a bit of tradition by signing his work with a contemporary symbol representative of the time, an astronaut. This is one hell of a signature because this is a relief sculpture, and it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. This would have been more convincing if it wasn't such an accurate representation of an astronaut. Again, like that that ambiguity of chimeras and... Egyptian deities kind of looking like our modern interpretation of aliens. If this wasn't so accurately rendered, there would be some room for doubt. There would be that little hint of, you know, maybe he's got like a vase stuck on his head. It's not a helmet. But the way the way the detail is done makes it look like a retractable helmet with an air cable and like a a spacesuit completely around him. I'm doing hand motions, but it's a podcast. I'm done being disappointed that this isn't real because this is awesome. Yeah, imagine being the talent caliber to where I'm doing this, and I actually don't know if this is the case, but I'm doing this restoration on this Spanish cathedral. And you know what? I'm going to put a giant astronaut in it. Yeah, and I'm all about making art more interactive, and the cathedral is essentially a giant I spy at this point. Taking someone to a cathedral will be very boring as a child until you say, can you find the hidden astronaut and not be lying to them? That would be a fun game to lie to them, though. But speaking of space music, do you want to talk to... (laughs) I'm just trying to make as as outrageous of transitions seem appropriate. Speaking of the Elton John song, Rocket Man, uh, do you want to talk about our music, Asher? Tell our audience... Hold up, I I got this one. You know, they say in space... You Can't Hear Threadbare by Glenn Merle off the album Burn of Proof, which is a real shame because that's our podcast's intro. I don't really know if all this funding for space travel is worth it if you can't listen to this fantastic music by our contributing artist. You can go on Spotify, iTunes, any place they stream music to hear the rest of his discography, which is slowly but surely growing. And I want to thank Connor Voigt for our Hit the Snopes jingle that you heard just a moment ago. One of our favorite parts of the show is just those 20 seconds that he wrote for us. It is a bop. Yeah, um, if you want to find us on our social media, like I said earlier, we'll be posting that Chili's to go alignment chart, which may actually be a turnoff, but we'll be posting that on our social media. (laughs) Our Twitter is S Confident Show and our Instagram is Strictly Confidential Show. And if you want to email us, uh, could be a topic, could be you want to be a guest on the show, could be a cool link, could be 
you absolutely hated the Chili's to go alignment chart. If you want to email us any of those things or more, our email is strictlyconfidentialshow at gmail.com. If you would like to appear on the show as a guest, talk about your supernatural experiences or the infiltration of secret societies that happened after learning all these hot tips, well then come on the show. We'd love to have you. And if you have a best friend, make sure that they know that you love Strictly Confidential and get them on board. You are a powerful ambassador for us and word of mouth goes a long way. I think that's all we got. That's all we do. So until next time, I've been Asher. And I've been Jackson. And you've been listening to Strictly Confidential. And as always, stay sneaky. Oh, like Sonic. I don't think that's like Sonic. (laughs) 